0: 36, Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ We live in interesting times We start off today's program like we start off every program Three big things The big story today dominating the conversation Is the response of the president To what happened in Charlottesville, Virginia Over the weekend Let me give you some background on this Charlottesville, Virginia Is the home of the University of Virginia It is a wonderful small predominantly liberal leaning town in Virginia it has been the target over a course of the last several months of the whole confederate monument controversy and and this this has played out in other communities but um Charlottesville again Virginia was the home of the confederacy during the civil war and like many towns in the south they have statues that commemorate people who fought for the confederacy in charlottesville there is a statue of robert e lee which has created all sorts of controversy that statue has been targeted by activist groups who want to see it taken down some from charlotte but also others from around the south and around the country in response and it's interesting i've been reading some of the the Leading up to this, I've been reading some of the stuff in Charlottesville, and my sense is that the, the average person in Charlottesville doesn't have a problem with this statue. But, but regardless, this statue has become sort of a cause celeb, not just in that community, but across Virginia, across the South, and to an extent across the country. It right, It is attracted, in response to the people who want to have this taken down, what has happened is this has become sort of ground zero for the 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 wacko the whack jobs on the right the the kkk the white supremacists etc who want to see taking down the, this statue as you know giving in to all right the, the people who the, the black lives matter movement or or whatever and they're trying to portray this as a a battle to try to keep our our traditions so they've centered on this as well so what you've had happening as you've had in other communities where you've had similar sorts of things you have activists who have been pouring in from out of town, out of state, to try to advance their particular causes. So on Saturday, you have a rally being staged by the white supremacists slash KKK types in an effort to try to say, okay, don't take down this particular statue. Not surprisingly, you have a number of groups, ranging from clergymen and... Um, sincere civil rights protesters, and, let us be honest, also people who are looking for trouble coming to counter-protest the, the alt-right movement. So this was a powder keg to begin with. Predictably, what happens is, all during the morning, fights start breaking out between the groups. I mean, you have, and and, and I, I don't know what wasn't there, A lot of the protesters, particularly the protesters who came to protest the KKK, peaceful clergy folks, things like that, other people who were looking for trouble. And so all during the morning, you have fights that are breaking out between the various groups. The police response has been criticized as being insufficient to, to keep these groups separated and stop the fights. I really don't have a position on that one way or the other. The governor of Virginia says there wasn't a problem. They, they thought the police did a good job. But you have a very, very volatile situation. And then, of course, everybody is familiar with the story. All of a sudden, a, a, a vehicle, a Dodge Challenger, essentially plows into a group of the people who are there to protest the KKK white supremacists who are there to stage their own protest. And as a result of this, one woman is killed, 19 other people are injured. And that's that's the news story that's breaking. In the immediate aftermath of this incident, President Trump, he's at a bill signing thing, this is on Saturday, and he issues a statement which is kind of off the cuff. Now, at the time the president made his statement, they didn't know the background. They didn't know who it was that was driving the car. So that that's the statement comes out before we start learning more information. Whether that makes any difference or or not. So he, he's at this bill signing, and you know what he says is that you know he, he's talking about the violence that had been going on, and he says that he condemns, in the strongest possible terms, this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides, on many sides. He says it's been going on for a long time in our country, not Donald Trump, not Barack Obama, it's been going on for a, a long time. So so that's what he says. And the immediate response of Pretty much the mainstream media, and certainly everybody on the left, and some Republicans, is to say, you know, wh- "What are you? What are you talking about? You know, wh- why aren't you condemning? Why aren't you condemning? You know, the, the KKK and the white supremacists. What do you do? You mean you're condemning in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence? Why aren't you calling out the white supremacists specifically? Now, at the time the president says this, again, they didn't know who it was that drove into this crowd. As it turns out it's this 20 year old kid who drove um, from Ohio to to this to, to Virginia. Um, the, the story is apparently the, the guy who is the suspect in this idolized Adolf Hitler, um, been treated for various types of mental illness and has been identified as a probably the kid has been a self-proclaimed like neo-nazi, for years and years and years. So it's very clear that the guy that appears to be responsible for this, and I know we're supposed to say alleged, but the guy who appears to be responsible for this, you know, was in fact one of these white supremacists or neo-Nazis or whatever. So that comes out after Trump makes his initial statements. Trump is now being roundly criticized for not being harder on calling out the white supremacists at the beginning. The people in the White House are saying, well, wait a second. I mean, he he condemned, you know, the hate on on all sides, hatred, bigotry, and violence. Um, He was waiting for more facts to come in. Clearly, this is the follow-up, clearly he, he, you know, denounces Any sort of racial violence and all these different types of things. The White House on Sunday says the President said very strongly in a statement yesterday that he condemns all forms of violence, bigotry, and hatred. And, of course, that includes white supremacists, KKK, neo-Nazi, and all extremist groups. He called for national unity and bringing all Americans together. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Was the President's initial response given based on what information was available at the time, was that essentially, was it soft on the white supremacists? Was it soft on the KKK? Or is this a situation where, as has been happening a lot lately, you have members of the mainstream media or people who just don't like the president who are looking for excuses and reasons to denounce him 414-799-1620 that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss next, I'll tell you where I come down on this as well, if you're on the line please hold on, it's Big Thing Number 1 it's 844, this is Jeff Wagner News Radio 620 WTMJ It's eight forty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Let's start with Colleen in West Alice. Colleen, good morning. Six twenty. WTMJ.
1: Good morning, Jeff. You what? Have to forgive me. I'm
0: a little emotional about this. That's a horrible story. I mean, it's just horrible on any le- any given level.
1: The white supremacists and the Ku Klux Klan, who, by the way, endorsed Trump and the Daily Storm have been very public and loud in their support of Trump for the better part of two years, ever since the primaries. And he has never, out of his own mouth, condemned them or repudiated their endorsement. So, yes, his statement was weak and ineffectual.
0: What would you have had him say?
1: I would have had him say, I'm just paraphrasing what Ronald Reagan wrote in 1984, repudiating the Ku Klux Klans endorsement mm-hmm. that they are absolutely the antithesis of what America stands for
0: okay well I mean, th- th- here, here, I mean thanks you I mean I I, I understand I, I understand going back in the election but I guess I'm trying to focus on, on on Saturday the aftermath of Saturday you have this event that clearly had gotten out of control you had people from all over the country that were coming many of whom I think were spoiling for fights you had fights breaking out, and then you have this tragedy. At the time the president was asked to make remarks, they didn't know what... what They, they knew the aftermath of what had happened, but they didn't know who was responsible for this. And so his statement is to, I don't know, uh, condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many, many sides. Um, he then goes on to say it's been going on for a long time in this country. I guess I... I would it have made any difference if he would have come out and would it have changed anything if he would have come out and said, and I specifically contemn the, the, the KKK or, or whatever, I mean, what he had was, I mean, again, as the facts are emerging, he, he condemned violence, hatred, and, and bigotry. And then they put out an expanded statement later on saying, well, of course, when you're condemning violence, hatred, and bigotry, that includes the, 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 you know, the white supremacists, that kind of kook element. I guess, would it have changed anything at the time? Now, keep in mind the controversy on the other side, where, like, say, after Ferguson, where President Obama made some statements that turned out to be I think, perhaps premature as far as, you know, which sides that he was sorting to starting to take here. Now, there's not a side in this matter. I mean, clearly you're going to condemn, you know, the racial violence. And clearly you want to condemn the fact that you have this 20-year-old nutcase, who apparently has been a nutcase for a long time, who decides to act out with his violence. But I guess... I, I'm looking at this and saying, okay, is there anything that Trump could have done under these circumstances that would have satisfied people? 414-799-1620, Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
2: Good morning, Jeff. What do you-, um, I, you know, I, I think the press is going to go after the president no matter what, but um, I, I think his statement has a certain amount of, uh, of truth to it. I, I think you have addressed some of that. I, there's hate on both sides. I mean, this white li- or Black Lives Matter, you know, when they try to say it, all lives matter, it exploded where we can't have that. And then when, um, you know, when there's these marches in Ferguson and then, you know, Black Lives Matter in Dallas and the cops all got, you know, murdered and gunned down, I think he's addressing this whole issue. I and mean, he was kind of generalized yeah. when he said it, but I, I think that um, the bigger issue is I, I Totally deplore the KKK, and I'm, I'm, I'm not white, and the white supremacist, but um, they still have a right to say what they're going to say. And, and maybe the better thing was there was probably a couple hundred of these knuckleheads, you know, with their flags and their KKK signs. Let them march through the city of Knoxville, and then the next day, you know, get 200,000 or 100,000 yeah. or 50,000 people to march. Then you make your point.
0: Well, right. Thanks for calling. I mean, it it was, look, it was a very, very volatile situation. And the truth is, um, you you do, the response to this, again, you had people coming in from all over the country, many of whom were there sincerely to offer the counter protests and clergy members and things like that. And and the truth is, you had other people that were looking for a fight. Now, I am in no way, shape, or form endorsing this neo-Nazi or whatever, you know, driving a car into people, but but there, there was at least... There was a volatile situation on all sides, and I think that's what the president was trying to address, particularly because his remarks are made before you know who it was that was driving that Dodge Challenger or, or whatever. And I guess, all right, could, could he have been stronger, perhaps, in denouncing the white supremacists of the KKK? Well, well yeah, I guess, but I, I sit here, honestly, when I was looking at this controversy, it almost seemed to me that there were some people who were more upset with the fact that the president didn't specifically say KKK in his initial remarks, then they, they were that you had the violence that, that occurred. And that's, I mean, I, I think what Trump was trying to address was that this overall divisiveness that's out there. And I know some people think that he's the one that he contributes to this, but this has been going on for a long time. You've seen it with Ferguson. You've seen it with so many cases. I, I mean, I think... Could it have perhaps been a stronger statement? Um, yeah, I guess maybe. But at the same time, keep in mind that details are emerging, and you know you don't know all the facts. And maybe the statement that they, the statement they issued yesterday candidly was different and perhaps more clarifying than the one when you were going into the, the fog of war. 414-799-1620 is the number. Pat in Watertown. Pat, you're on six twenty. WTMJ. Good morning.
3: Hello. Hi, Pat. I have-
1: One thing to say, President Trump will never say the right thing for the left. So, I mean, really, what what are we debating? Because no matter what he would have said, if he would have called it white supremacist, uh, that would have been wrong because he was being uh, racist or something or another. So, uh, to me, it's, it's just the way the situation is right now. Well, previously when we had elections, people sat down and shut up, and they're not sitting down and
4: shutting up this time.
0: Yeah, and, and look, and, and thanks for that. I mean, by the way, I mean, I have no problem with legitimate protests and, and situations like that, and and clearly... And that, I mean, I understand why you had the, the counter-protests that were there. And, and like I say, I mean, I don't know what was fueling the fights that were going on between the counter-protesters and the, the group, I like the phrase, the knuckleheads, you know, the haters that, that were there to try to advance whatever weird sort of racist theories that they have. But, I mean, you had ongoing struggles. there. I think I agree with you. I don't know what Trump could have done. Trump could have mentioned white supremacists. He could have mentioned the KKK. And I'm hearing, well, I mean, he's he's got supporters. I think he was trying to be perhaps a little measured. Um, while you were waiting for the facts to come in as to who was responsible. But, I mean, he clearly was condemning hatred, and I guess I'm not sure how anybody could reasonably see this as an endorsement of the white supremacist movement or the, the KKK. Uh, let's talk to Steve in De Pere. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
5: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Steve. Yeah, I'm just getting sick of the hypocrisy. you kind of stole my thunder with the things about Ferguson. Obama made similar statements, and where was the media outrage then?
0: Yeah, I mean, what he well, he more like took sides. But I mean, I, but but yeah, I mean, Trump. It's not like Trump was endorsing white supremacists or KKK. I mean, I'm looking at the statement. He's you know he's talking about how he condemns in the broad, strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. Okay, I mean. How can anybody see that as going soft on a particular group? How can anybody see that as going soft on white supremacists? He's condemning well,
5: this. Yeah, one of the commentators last night made a, a statement that I think sums it up, because it, it, it's got nothing to do with the violence It's about Trump. He said he could have got an Air Force One, went down to that jail and shot the guy for what he did, running over that woman, and the left and the media be on his case because he used the wrong caliber of gun. I
3: mean, um, it yeah,
5: now, nothing to do with... With with the violence, it's all about okay. What can we pick on Trump for now? My I th- think his statement was perfectly fine.
0: Thanks. Well, I mean, I don't know. I if I was in that situation, while there's details that are emerging, would would I have given a difference? I I don't know. But I mean, it is interesting to me. Like I say, there are some people who appear to be more outraged at what they think was a soft response by the president than they necessarily are at what happened. I mean, you, you want to just as as long as we're talking about that. All right, there, Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General. All right. I, within like couple hours of this, where are the charges, why isn't there a hate crime task force? My guess is there will be a hate crime that ultimately is charged as part of this, but they've got the kid, they've got the guy that did it, they've got the nut that did it, he's going to be looking, I guess, by the time charges come out, with you know multiple life terms in prison. If they decide to add a hate hate crime enhancer, fine, I'm not going to have an issue with that, but the bottom line is, from a law enforcement perspective, you're trying to catch him, then you're trying to figure out what charges are going to be issued, and trust me, he's going to be in prison for most of the rest of his life. I'm pretty much sure I can guarantee that. And yet you have some people going, well, the attorney general wasn't strong enough about labeling this as a hate crime. All right, they're trying to catch the guy that did it, get him into custody, build a case. But, of course, uh, again, from some of the people that want to see this completely through a racial prism as opposed to a law enforcement uh, prism, this is what you get. In any event, um, I just I'm amazed at all the controversy involving the Trump statement. Could he have been stronger? Maybe, but is it worth this outrage? Really, 857. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. <laughs> 908 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, we're wrapping up our conversation. A big thing, number one, the controversy involving the horrible, the horrific events in Charlottesville, Virginia, over the weekend, the fights between the protesters and the KKK and white supremacists, and, of course, the controversy over President Trump's remarks. Jennifer, who is calling us from Charlottesville, Virginia. Virginia, uh, Jessica, Jennifer, good morning. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Very well, thank you. You are a transplanted Milwaukeean, huh?
4: I am I am I've lived here for about three years now
0: it is a wonderful community I have been there on many occasions in my youth
4: yes it is a beautiful beautiful town it's
0: great a- am, am I right um, in the in my, my my sense is that this this is not being feared I understand that the victim was a woman from Charlottesville yes. but my sense is you have you have protesters or counter-protesters, a lot of people coming in from outside your community um, that were involved in all this stuff over the weekend.
4: Yes. We were, as a community, for probably at least two or three weeks, strongly advised locally to stay away as much as possible from the protesters who were coming in, you know, the KKK, the alternate right, that they were, you know, coming in. They were here to cause trouble. Um, So our sense was that a lot of these people... Either drove in independently or were bused in independently, and um, there was a tensions were exceptionally high. Right. And a lot, even leading up to this, a lot of the um, independent retailers and restaurants were closing in advance of this rally, knowing that um, trouble was probably going to happen. Right. So, I, I, I strongly believe a lot of a lot of this was incited by out of counters.
0: Right, because that—that's certainly the impression I got. Because I've been trying to follow this controversy over the, the Robert E. Lee statue, and my sense is that it's—it's um, it's more of a national issue in some respect than a local issue. You know?
4: I, I think so. You know, it, it does make the local news here, but you, when there are protesters, you know, they have some fencing around the statue in the park at the moment. Um, Usually when there's a protest, I mean, it's a handful of people at best right. who are, are, are really concerned with this issue. And me being a transplant and growing up in the North, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of skin in the game. I don't right. have a lot of opinion on it. And Charlottesville itself is largely made up of a lot of transplants because of the university. Right. So. Um, I don't think that their opinion is as strong here as it is being made nationally.
0: So what's your take on the events and now the, the aftermath of what happened over the weekend?
4: Um, well, my, my, you know, my take is, as far as Donald Trump goes, you know, he is, I, locally I think we felt that it was, um, it took him a long time to, to make any sort of statement. Mm-hmm. And I know that the situation was certainly fluid. But he is, as we know, very Twitter-happy and trigger-happy when it comes to at least making some statement. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that we were sort of sitting here feeling like, well, perhaps you should have at least come out and said something, especially given that the night before um, that protest around the um, University of Virginia grounds, where we had a lot of torch-wielding KKK members, they were surrounding the, tom- the 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 statue of Thomas Jefferson. A lot of right. students, some of the students were out there protecting the statue, making sure that nothing had happened to it. Um, I thought, like you know, he should have been a little bit more pre- more prepared for that. And we are only two hours south of D.C., so right. we're, we're 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 pretty much a hometown for him. Um, I think we're I can't uh, not not necessarily me, but the town itself is very liberal and progressive. And I don't know if. I think a lot of people felt like because it was a liberal, progressive college town, he wasn't as inclined to open his mouth as quickly as he would if this would have been somewhere else.
0: So your complaint, your, the, the, the criticism you would have is more about timing yeah. and the lack of a statement as opposed to necessarily the content of the statement.
4: It, exactly. I, you know, I think you know, if it was me and I knew that I was under the scrutiny that he is under constantly for not coming out and speaking about, you know, I, I think if if it was me, I would have come out and said and denounced the KKK and the alternate right just because.
0: Right, Pre, even preempt, even preemptively, even before yeah. this incident happened. Just, it, yeah.
4: Exactly, because he knows that he's under a microscope. He knows he's going to be scrutinized. He knows everyone's going to wordsmith him. So he should have come out right away and just nipped that in the bud. That's what I would have done. Um, so I think that that's also part of the problem. But. You know, I think anything he says is going to be scrutinized.
0: Right. What What's the mood like in Charlottesville yesterday and today?
4: Um, yesterday, I think there was certainly a lot of um, caution. Still, I know that um, one of the the organizers of the rally was out there speaking yesterday, and there was um, a little bit of a kerfuffle with that. Um, I think today everyone is going back to work and. You know, thankfully, there was probably not a lot of damage. Unfortunately, obviously, we know that people lost their lives. That was right. horrible. Um, but as far as you know, per property damage, I think there was it was minor. Um, right. So there's not a lot of, you know, there's just a lot of recovery. This is not a town where things like this really
0: happen. Well that, that was the interesting thing, Jennifer, that I was struck by. And like I said, I've been to Charlottesville on many occasions. It's not. This is not necessarily the place that you would think no. would end up being ground zero in a controversy between white supremacists and um, KKK members no. and counter-protesters. That, that's just that's not Charlottesville.
4: No, it, it is a very peaceful place, and it's a small town. And it, you know, there's maybe about 50,000 people who live here, and everyone gets along very peacefully, and it's a beautiful town. And it's also not set up. For you know, it's, it's an old early American town, so it's not really set up for the kind of infiltration of a lot of people to come in and cause trouble, and then they get out easily.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, right.
4: It, it's not a big city.
0: Um, yeah, Jennifer, thanks so much for perspective, and thanks it. for calling in. I really do appreciate it. Um, Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Now that's uh, that, that's Jennifer from tra- of Transplanted Milwaukee, and I guess that's. I mean, I, I wrestle with this whole thing, and I guess it's one of these things where you can. Always Monday morning quarterback, the the situation. I I do think, and people say, oh, you're apologizing for Donald Trump. If you're a regular listener to this program, I'm not a Trump apologist. I, I get it from both sides. It's like, well, when I, when I criticize the president for the different things he does, does that I think deserve to be criticized, oh, go work for MSNBC. You're one of these liberals. And then when I try to say, well, I, I think we're overreacting uh, to this thing or that thing, it's, oh, I can't stand you. How can you be such a Trump apologist? And bottom line is, I, I try to call stuff as I see it. In this particular situation, I, I don't I mean, people should be outraged over the hate groups. That that's where the outrage should be directed. But I think some people are just—you you want to obsess. Okay, we're going to turn this into a, a Trump thing. And Jennifer makes an interesting point. Maybe in anticipation of this, since there was a buildup, you know, maybe it would it have helped? Would it have been, you know, would we have? Would it have been a calming effect if the president had come out and said something preemptively? Okay. You know, maybe you know, should he have come out in the immediate aftermath? All, all right, w- would that have been would that have been necessarily wrong? No, but at the same time, I, I think that at the time the initial statements were coming out. It was the fog of war, and you're trying to make sure what's going on, and I think he probably did take some lessons from Barack Obama and Barack Obama's comments on Ferguson, which turned out to, in my opinion, be inflammatory and, in some cases, ill-considered. So I I think the president was trying to be measured, and I understand there's not often that you hear this president being measured, um, and... But he would have been criticized regardless. I think moving forward, rather than obsessing with when is there going to be the hate crime charge that comes out, I mean, moving forward, I I think, you know, you have to look back and say, are the things that authorities could have done to have minimized the chance of violence? And then, again, recognize that you've got this white supremacist 20-year-old nutcase Who at the end of the day is the one that's ultimately responsible for this horrible situation and maybe that's what we need to be concentrating on instead of worrying about did the president in making remarks, you know, condemning, you know, hatred and bigotry, was it strong enough? It's 917. Big thing number two is coming up. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 920, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. Hey, stock market rebounding. Coupled, this is one of the things to remember when you're investigating, and I'm not Dave Spano and not pretending to be a financial analyst, but it is interesting. Sometimes the thing that drives the markets is is corporate earnings and the state of the economy. And what happens from time to time is you have... This noise that's out there, you have a political situation. Oh, we've, we've got a concern about North Korea. Boom, the market drops 220 points. That has nothing to do with market fundamentals. And typically, some people end up panicking and they end up selling, and then the market comes back. I mean, you saw this last year with the Brexit thing. Remember, you know, Brit, Great Britain says it's going to be pulling out of the European Union. Oh, the stock market takes a huge, you know, fall. And then, you know, a week and a half later, it, it's got all the points that drop back and, and more so. So. You always have to be careful. I mean, last week, the last couple of days, one day in particular, because of geopolitical concerns, you had a sell-off and the stock market drops. Um, today, Dow Jones opened over 100 points. Right now, it's up 142 points. Uh, the Nasdaq statistically um, up. 67 points, which um, is, that—that's that's 1.8%. That's huge. That's just huge. And it's based on market fundamentals. And so, bottom line is, whenever they talk about market timing or reacting to a particular event, oftentimes, okay, people panic, they do these things, and then uh, maybe they come to regret it. All right, big story number two. We have been talking for the last week or so about the situation the woman who was sitting in her car outside the Pacific Produce store on the um, south side and had the guy that came up to her. This was on Friday, July 21st on South 27th Street. She's sitting in her car checking her cell phone. That's what she's doing. And she's got her uh, car door open just a crack to, to get out. When all of a sudden, you have somebody... Uh, they've now identified him, Corleone Thomas. He's 18 years old. According to her, the woman, um, she's getting out of the car. Um, all of a sudden, the door is yanked open by, by this character. He doesn't say anything. He begins punching her using brass knuckles. She says she was punched five or six times in the head. He's trying to yank her out of the car by her leg. Um, there's a he's got a female accomplice yelling, grab the purse, grab the purse, grab the purse. Can you imagine that? I mean, you're sitting in the car in a parking lot. You're getting ready to go into the store, but you're checking your cell phone before you go into the store. All of a sudden, as you start to get out, you have this madman come up, uh, brass knuckles. Start punching you and, and many of you, if you have access to like the the TV news you've probably seen this woman 's photo i mean she she was banged up pretty darn bad, as you might expect what would happen if you have an eighteen year old punching you in the head repeatedly using brass knuckles so they 've now caught him and i 'll go through the the details of the arrest, but they 've now caught him, and according, I have the criminal complaint in my hand, one of the detectives interviews him and he admits to participating in the attack on the woman who was sitting in the parking lot. He claimed... This is the criminal complaint. I will read it to you, this portion. The defendant, this would be Thomas, claimed he had been peer-pressured into it. He said that the female co-actor spotted the victim sitting in her car. He admitted to walking over to the victim's car in order to take her purse. He claimed that the victim asked what he was doing and then tried to push and punch him first. The defendant stated that he had the brass knuckles with him, but he only put them on after first being hit by the victim. The defendant said after he was pepper sprayed, he didn't care about getting the purse anymore. She grabbed pepper spray. So his story is, I'm standing there in the parking lot, carrying brass knuckles, minding my own business. This woman I am with peer pressures me into going ahead and robbing the woman. I go up to this woman who is just starting to get out of her car. Now, keep in mind, her story is she's getting out of the car. All of a sudden, this thug with brass knuckles comes up, starts beating her, trying to grab at her purse. She's fighting for her life, being pulled out of the car. She grabs in the purse and pepper sprays him. His story is essentially, I just, I, I was, I, I'm, I'm just innocently in this parking lot with brass knuckles that I'm not wearing, by the way. Um, I walked over to her car because I wanted to take her purse. Um, after she asked me what I was doing, she tried to punch me. I, imagine, she attacked me. And then I took the brass knuckles, but only, only, I started beating her only in self-defense, is essentially what he is trying to say. I mean, I, I don't know. The big dog, BD, producing the show, happens all the time. You know, I'm standing in grocery store parking lots and I decide, hey, I'm going to go walk up, and I'm, I'm carrying my brass knuckles, and I decide I'm going to go walk up and grab a purse from this particular woman, and, and then she starts hitting me, and, and next thing I know, I'm fighting for my, I have to put on my brass knuckles. I was peer pressured into this. I'm a victim. All right, the, the criminal complaint details this guy. Eighteen-year-old man charged in connection with this. Uh, apparently, he, he's been on a carjacking spree. He was charged Saturdays with Saturday with 11 Felonies and one misdemeanor, according to the complaint. On July 19th, a woman was moving cars in her driveway on 69th Street in Wauwatosa when she was pushed to the ground and punched and kicked by Thomas and another man. Presumably, you know, she was asking for it too. The two stole a 2013 Toyota Corolla and a 2017 Honda Santa Fe. Two days later, Thomas used brass knuckles to punch the woman, as I was just describing. woman sustained significant injuries to her face. He says it's not my fault. I was peer pressured into this, and, and she started to push me. That's when I put on the brass knuckles and beat the crap out of her. July 26th, the woman told officers that someone stole her 2014 Buick LaCrosse. GPS tracked the car to a spot on North 84th Street. When an officer arrived, he saw a man jump out of the driver's seat and run. Police found a fingerprint of Thomas in the car. They found his fingerprints in another stolen vehicle two days later. August 1st, Thomas helped two other men steal a 2016 Hunt Accord from a guy at a gas station. August 8th, law enforcement found him driving the same Honda Accord on South Kinnikinick. Squad cars pursued him for 24 minutes and 21 miles on residential streets in Milwaukee and Glendale. He drove up to 105 miles an hour, drove on the wrong side of the road, drove into oncoming traffic. He eventually stopped and ran before being taken into custody. 414-799-1620. He is 18 years old. I do not know what, if any, juvenile record he has. But my guess is, it is extensive. If and when he is convicted for this string of crimes, I think that there is one word and one word alone that describes what needs to happen to this guy. That word is warehouse. Look, I, you have a violent, dangerous thug. I don't care if he's 18 or 28 or 38 or 48. This idea that I'm peer pressured into beating this woman with a, with, with brass knuckles. Here you have a violent criminal who was on a rampage. He needs to be taken off the street. And people who are doing things like this need to be taken off the street. 414-799-1620, that's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is there any reason this guy should be out in the next 20 or 25 years? I think not. What do you think? 414 is the number. We're back to discuss. It's 928. This is Jeff Wagner. 9:30 Jeff Wagner, 6:20 WTMJ. All right, the, the streets are now at least temporarily safer because authorities have caught this one-man crime wave whose explanation for beating a woman with brass knuckles is that, well, she, she resisted when I tried to steal her purse and I was peer-pressured into it. I'm not buying that. I'm thinking this, this 18-year-old deserves to be put away for decades. Is that too harsh? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 935. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Before I take calls on this, let me tell you one other thing. I don't know if this 18-year-old punk has a juvenile record. I am willing to... He's 18. My guess, and it's just a guess, maybe I will be proven wrong, my guess is he has a juvenile record as long as my producer BD's arm. And he's a tall guy, so it's a long arm. All right, because, and here's why I say that, because I don't think you just wake up one day, hey, I'm 18 years old, I'm going to go on a carjacking spree. I'm going to stick, uh I'm going to beat women with... Um, with brass knuckles. I'm going to steal cars. I'm going to lead cops on a high-speed chase. My guess is that there is an extensive juvenile record. Now I could be wrong. I don't know. But the reason I don't know is because in Wisconsin, juvenile records are not made public. Here's what I think the law should be. If someone, if someone is charged with committing a felony when they are an adult, I think all bets are off. I get the... Now, part of the problem is the juvenile justice system is a joke. And one of the reasons it's a joke is judges aren't held accountable because what they do is essentially in secret. Now, they do stuff in open court, but the records of these people, they're 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 sealed. They're not available to the general public as a general rule. So you don't know how cases are disposed of as a general rule. What I think should happen is... It's and the argument is well, we don't want people to know what they did when they were 16. We want to protect them. As far as I am concerned. When they turn 18, if they commit adult crimes, I think all bets should be off. I think their juvenile record should then be a matter of public interest because you get to see, all right, what is what was done with this criminal? Was this somebody who did, in fact, wake up one morning after their 18th birthday and decide to go on a car jacking spree? Um, or is it somebody that has been through the revolving door system of the juvenile justice system, particularly in Milwaukee County, over and over again? We don't know for sure right now because the juvenile records aren't public. Regardless, this conduct, I say you warehouse this guy if he's convicted. Alan in Hustisford. Alan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
5: Yes, good morning. I agree. I think this creep should be put away for good. He's shown a propensity to be violent, and any chance at rehabilitation, I think, is already out, well out the window, and he should be put away for a long time.
0: Yeah, and, and if he comes out and, and he, he's able to figure out a way to rehabilitate himself, fine. I, I mean, I hope it all works out that way. But you got to protect people. I mean, th- this idea that, okay, you, you take put on brass knuckles and start beating the you-know-what out of a 30-some-year-old woman who's in a parking lot of a grocery store. I mean, we need to be protected from people like this character who was doing that.
5: I agree. He should be dealt with severely, and the public should be protected from people like him and others like him.
0: Right, Exactly. Right. I, no excuses. Thanks for the call. Al. No excuses. No exceptions. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200 and go to prison. And I'll tell you something else. If that means that we've got to build more prisons and hire more prison guards to keep us safe from the Corleone Thomases of the world then let's do it. Let's do it. Um Justin texts. If the law permits, I think this thug should be sentenced to consecutive terms for each offense. If not, then we need a change in the law to protect the public from this habitual violent criminals like him. He obviously has no moral conscience or remorse. Jeff and Fox Point texts. So does that mean she just waited for him? I mean the, the whole this whole story about how well I was peer pressured into stealing her purse and, and then then she, she started hitting me when I tried to steal the purse and so that that's her story. That's when I that's his story. That's when I put on the brass knuckles and started beating her. Now, her, the, the victim, in, in this particular case, if I've got to decide, who am I going to believe, the violent thug or the woman who was sitting in her car who had the hell beat out of her, whose story am I going to believe? His that, well, I just went up to steal her purse, and I was peer pressured into that, and she started fighting back, so I, I had to put on those brass knuckles and, and, and punch her to fend her off. Or the victim who says, I'm sitting there minding my own business, I'm checking my cell phone, I get out of the car to go to the store, and all of a sudden this guy is on me swinging with brass knuckles. Hmm, which story makes the most sense? Excuse me, I think I go with beaten up victim, not dangerous thug who probably shouldn't have been out on the streets. Anyways, Jeff and Fox Point texts. So, does that mean she just waited for him when he said, hold on, let me put on my brass knuckles? I might be laughing if the woman had been unharmed. Yeah, that's the best story that's the best story that he's got and the best defense that he's got. Look, this is the, the frustration that's going on. There are people like this Corleone Thomas out on the streets who have no regard for life who have the impulse control of fruit flies, and who pose dangers to all of us. And like I say, I think one of the interesting things is I would be fascinated to know if he has a juvenile record. I think the public has a right to know juvenile records of people who, you know, commit crimes, um, because then we get a chance to see what's going on in the juvenile court system and and how has it not worked. Now, again, maybe he has no juvenile record at all, but I wouldn't bet on that. Jim in McGuanagoe. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
5: Hi Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, you know how they say choose your words carefully and make sure they're sweet because you <laughs> might have to eat them. Okay. Uh, maybe the judge, when sentencing, should say, I'm under peer pressure to sentence you to the full 108
0: years. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yes. You you say you were peer pressured to attack this woman and, and presumably to go on this carjacking spree. Sorry, Mr. Thomas, but right, I'm under peer pressure to protect society, and we'll see in in 100 years or so. Huh? I, no, I, Jim, I, I like it. I, I like it. I might be inclined to use it if I were a judge, which is probably one of the reasons. Oh, he would be too tough on crime. Can you believe it? He, he's, he's actually going to side with the victim. He's going to warehouse. He, this is this poor 18 year old. I mean, I'm sure he had a tough upbringing and, and, and yeah, I mean, he, he didn't shoot her. He just beat the heck out of her with brass knuckles and, and that, that evil judge. He's, he's gonna, he's gonna send this guy to prison for decades. You're damn right. I'm gonna send this guy to prison for decades because. That could have been you, that could have been your spouse, it could have been me, it could have been anybody, and it's about time we start having, expecting the police and the court system to protect us from the alleged carjackers and attackers like Corleone Thomas, age 18. All right, coming up next, big thing number three, well, he's making about $11 million a year, but... This country is just so awful, he can't stand up during the National Anthem. We'll discuss next. Stick around. 943, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 945, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. He's been called Canada's greatest songwriter of all time. Actually, Jimmy Buffett. I'm a big Jimmy Buffett guy. He describes Gordon Lightfoot as being his inspiration, Um, and he's provided some of the most iconic songs since the 1960s. Now, Gordon Lightfoot is coming to Milwaukee, and we're sending you. Keep listening. Later today, sometime between now and the end of the program, you're going to have a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Gordon Lightfoot. He is at the Pabst Theater on Sunday, September 17th. And each day this week, sometime during the program, we will be giving away a pair of Gordon Lightfoot tickets. Your chance to win for today, comes up sometime between now and noon. So stick around for that. All right. Uh, another year, NFL, of course, the f- first round of preseason games was yesterday. Everybody remembers the controversy from last year involving Former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick, who despite making millions and millions of dollars, decided he didn't like what was going on in this country, so he decided that he was not going to stand up for the national anthem. That resulted in sort of a firestorm of issues. Um, interestingly, Kaepernick and Kaepernick, the 49ers, his contract expired. The 49ers didn't resign him. He, he remains unsigned. And this is a controversy. Particularly in the liberal sports media, because a number of owners recognize that, that Kaepernick, um, his ability to play, I don't know, but they recognize that he is very, very, he is a hot potato when it comes to the the fan base. Matter of fact they were thinking of signing him in Baltimore and the owner of the Baltimore Ravens, he he said publicly, he said, you know, we we have to really think about this because we want to figure out how we want to see how the fans are going to react to this. And of course that brought a lot of the sports folks out, Oh, this is just terrible. He's being discriminated against well no, I mean football is a business and Obviously, um, the Baltimore Ravens recognize that Colin Kaepernick, who brought this all on himself by his protest, he has the right to do it, but there are consequences to it. So he remains unsigned. All right, Michael Bennett is a defensive lineman for the Seattle Seahawks. He This year, he makes about $11 million dollars. His base salary is six million five hundred thousand dollars for playing a game. Um, his prorated portion of his signing bonus is three point seven million, and he gets a million dollars for being on the roster on opening day. So um, his total compensation this year for playing football is going to be about eleven m as in million dollars. All right. So what happened is over the weekend. Um, Sunday night, matter of fact, it was the last night, first preseason game. His Seattle Seahawks playing the Los Angeles Chargers. They're the San Diego Chargers, but now the Los Angeles... It just doesn't sound right. How many sportscasters are going to make that mistake referring to the San Diego Chargers? But they're the Los Angeles Chargers. Anyhow, they start off the game by playing the National Anthem. Um, He decides he's not going to stand for it. The rest of the Seahawks... They stand, but they link arms during the anthem. That's what they do. Um, Bennett, last season, um, he's very frequently outspoken on social issues, says, I think people were so caught up in the flag that they forgot about the message of social injustice. So Bennett does it. Marshawn Lynch, who used to play for Seattle, um, came out of retirement. Now he's playing for Oakland. He apparently sat on the bench during the Raiders' first preseason game against the Arizona Cardinals as well. Um, The coach, Pete Carroll... The coach of Seattle didn't know that Bennett was going to do it. Jack Del Rio, the Oakland coach, didn't know that uh, Lynch was going to do it. So we have another season starting and another handful of these type of protests. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a point where the teams and or the NFL... And the NFL might be limited into what it can do under the collective bargain agreement, but the the teams probably have a bit of latitude. Um, At this point in time, should we just allow the protests to go on, or should the teams or the NFL say enough is enough, we are not going to put up with this distraction, and this is a team activity. If the team, if our rules are you stand, everybody stands. If you don't stand, you don't play four one four seven nine is the acunet mortgage talk and text line here you have a football player making 11 million dollars this year and he is well he's unhappy with this country he doesn't want to stand during the national anthem should the teams allow him to get away with it 414 my answer is no I, I just i i mean i don't know if the nfl teams have the guts to do it but my response would be look this is this is what we collectively do to honor this country and we expect you to stand along with your teammates if you want to link arms fine but if you don't stand you don't play 4147991620 wouldn't it be refreshing if the teams took that approach what do you think? Should the NFL allow itself to be distracted by another season of this, or should either the teams or the league, if they can, say, you get off your butt, you stand during the national anthem, on your own time, you do whatever you want, but when you're on that field, when you're in uniform, you are representing the NFL, you are representing the team, and you stand for the darn national anthem? My answer to that is, is yes. And if people decide they don't want to follow team rules, well, all right. Fine. Go make a living doing something else. What do you think? 4147991620 is the number we discuss next. It's 952. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 9.54, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ as the world focuses on North Korea's missile system. One expert says there's another threat from North Korea that might be even greater. John McCure explores at 320 on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Uh, Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, good morning.
5: Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? You know, I I feel that, you know, and the NFL, NBA, any of these sports, uh, uh, any of these sports teams, whatever, they should be able to look at their players and say, look, this is this is the image we present, this is what our league is about, you know, and while you are in our employee, that uh, you need to present that image, you need to further that right. image. And if honestly and if you're not willing to, hey, look, we got a bench full of rookies who are chomping at the bit to take your spot.
0: Yeah, see, I, I agree. You're, yeah. you're, it's one thing If he wants to go and participate in protests when he's on his own dime, that's fine. But when you are representing the team, when you're in uniform, when you're when you're there before the game, you do what the team, what all the other team does. And if not, go find yourself another profession. I agree completely.
5: Sure, yeah, and, and I have nothing, nothing against what they're doing. They're free to express themselves, but I think in that situation, you know, they they need to they need to uphold that that meeting in
0: right. I, I agree Thank, because I mean this ends up becoming a distraction. Number one, and number two, I, I mean really here you're in a situation where you're making. I don't know, the guy makes $11 million, and it's, I hate America. I'm just, I'm protesting all the social injustice. Okay, you know, wonderful. I mean, this is the same country that's allowing you to be essentially rich beyond the dreams of avarice for playing a game. Jill in New Berlin. Jill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
6: Hi. Hi, Jill. I'd like to say that I agree
4: with you 100%. I think all professional sports should make this a rule. And I think it's a disgrace that these players are paid that kind of money, and they are doing that. It just makes me sick. I was so happy when Colin Kaepernick, had, you know, wasn't getting picked up by anyone, and because of him, what he was doing, it just—it's—I it, think it's terrible.
0: Well, you know, Jill, yeah. some people just view this as this outrage. Oh, it is terrible. Colin Kaepernick's you know, he, he's not able to get a job, and he's a, he's a hot potato. Well, he, he is a hot potato. The NFL, at the end of the day, is a business. And right. I mean, maybe he can play quarterback, but it's more to it than that. And I think these teams are concerned, all right, what's going to happen if we bring this guy onto the team? And he, interestingly enough to me, Joe, Colin Kaepernick now, now that he's looking for a job, he says he'll stand during the National Anthem. So his his objection, apparently, that was fine when he was under contract and guaranteed money. Now that he's trying to get more money, well, maybe his principles will soften. Kind of interesting.
4: Right, right, yeah. yeah. And I have to say personally, when I go to the Brewer Games and we're out tailgating, I pack up and leave and say I'm going in because I, I will not miss the national anthem.
0: Oh, yeah. At it, the
4: beginning it, of the game. It's no, very important.
0: It is. You know, it, interestingly, Jill, I I, I have, um, okay, so when we were at State Fair last week, this is sort of interesting. State Fair opens at 8 o'clock every day, and I, I, get, I can get there before it opens because we're working there and all. But what they do is at 8 o'clock, as the grounds open, They play the national anthem over the loudspeakers. It's really cool. And it was, I was struck by the fact the other day as I was, I was coming in right as this happened. I'd gotten out of my car and I was walking towards where our broadcast facility is and they're playing the national anthem. And I'm actually walking and I look around and whether it was vendors or I, I don't know, people who were on the grounds at the time, everybody stopped. Everybody was standing. There were people who had their hands over their heart. That was just the Wisconsin State Fair. And my guess is that there were none of those people there that were making $11 million this year playing a game. If the guy doesn't, if he wants to protest, if he thinks America is such a horrible place, and there's all this social injustice, okay, fine, why don't you go be a social worker, give up the gig? I think the Seahawks certainly or the Oakland Raiders or any team have the right to say you got to do this and if you don't you're going to be sitting on the bench and to the, I mean the NFL has rules for everything my gosh you can't have their socks that are too long you can't have this color you can't have that color on you know you you can't do these celebrations I think if you can have rules saying you know your socks have to be of certain length you should certainly have a rule saying when they play the national anthem and you are part of the team you stand up All right, when we come back, the controversy over Mexico continues. Stick around, it's 9.59.
3: It's
0: 10.09, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, it, it's interesting. We're back of course from the State Fair. Love being out at the State Fair. And let me give a public shout out to my producer the big dog BD who did an outstanding job. Um back here at the studio it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work that that goes on and trying to to do the show and and in general and he he just did an ass sterling job. So I want to say a very special thank you. I love being out at the fair and one of the things that was happening at the fair is I had a number of people who actually, you know, old friends and new friends people would come out and they'd stop by and sometimes people would hang around a little bit afternoon and we'd go and get something to eat or have a beer or something and um, I I really I enjoyed it it was an occasion to sort of socialize and things like that Um, what happened was um, on Thursday, I think I had a couple friends out there and my friends John and Mary and we were having a conversation and for some reason we got to talking oh, I know how it came up Um, They were telling me about how much they had in the past enjoyed going to all-inclusive resorts in Mexico. And it, how much they, they'd enjoyed it, and they, you know, had up until a couple of years ago made a regular habit of like going and having these trips every every year, uh, breaking up the winter and stuff. And I said, well, I've really, I mean, I've never done that before. I mean, I, I know a lot of people that, whether it's Ecstatic or Cancun or whatever, that, that have enjoyed that. I said, I've never really done that, and it's interesting because my friend Mary was saying, well, I don't think we're going to do this again. I, I'm I'm hearing about all these problems with bad liquor and things like that, and I'm just. I mean, I I just don't think I I want to do that. And that was interesting, got me thinking, and, and over the weekend, I actually talked to a couple other people, including people who have vacationed in Mexico before. And the response was exactly the same. Haven't you been reading about all these stories? They've got these bad liquor at this bad liquor at the resort. You have a situation of a tourist getting robbed, or passing out, or getting sick, or you know, ending up dead. You know that horrible story about the the girl from Washington, the young woman from Washington County, who ends up you know dead at the bottom of the pool. And she she's there with her parents and her brother. And apparently the the young lady and her brother they're they're drinking. It sounds like they're drinking bad. Bad liquor, and um, you know she ends up drowning in the bottom of a pool. Just a horrible sort of story. And since that story broke, more and more people have been coming forward, you know, telling the same story. So the follow-up. This is the way the Journal Sentinel reporting it. Mexican authorities swept through 31 resorts, restaurants, and nightclubs in Cancun and Playa del Carmen in recent days, suspending operations at two, for suspending operations. So they're not just seizing bad liquor, they're suspending, they're closing the places down temporarily for unsanitary alcohol and in the process they also discovered a sketchy manufacturer who was supplying liquor to the tourist hotspots. Regulators seized 10,000 gallons of illicit alcohol from the company, noting its bad manufacturing practices, uh, the company's name has not been released. Among those businesses respo- suspended, the lobby bar in the Ibero Star Parisio Maya, a resort in the complex area um, where the woman, the 20-year-old woman who ended up losing her life, uh, was. Um, other vacationers again have come forward and saying that you know this is what's happened. Um, situations where they've been drinking at the beach, pool bars. Um, they've blacked out. They've been assaulted. And one of the theories is there's all this bad booze that's being, you know, essentially distributed to tourists. Regulators also temporarily shut down Fat Tuesday, a bar in Cancun. They seized a total of 90 gallons of illicit alcohol from the two places, including some from the Iberostar's lobby bar that was unlabeled. So the, the impression that you get is you've got some of these, I, I don't know, the, these illicit brewers making God knows what, who are then giving it, selling it, distributing it to these places who are using it to make drinks or whatever, and people are getting sick. Well, anyhow, what what struck me is as I was talking to multiple folks over the weekend. The message I was getting was, we don't want any part of this you know we we are not going back to mexico and you know we don't you know we would never let our kids go to mexico all because of this this is obviously a huge issue for the resort industry in mexico if the word gets out that it is well you don't know what you're getting and it might be unsafe because you're going to get bum liquor when you go to these places I don't know that there's anything that can kill a business faster than that. And yet, like I say, I talked to at least one, two, three, four couples over the course of the last couple of days, and that was their message. All four of them said, we, we, you know, we used to go to Mexico. No way we're going there anymore. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. You can go anywhere you want in the world on vacation. And I know, at least I'm told, that people who go to some of these all-inclusive resorts down in Mexico have just an absolute blast. I think that these stories about bad liquor and people getting sick and assaulted and robbed, I think that at least in the short term and maybe the long term, this is going to kill the tourist business down there. All right. Are you reluctant to go on a Mexican vacation because of these stories? That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and I have to tell you, um, I I tend not to be an alarmist, but again, given the fact that you can go anywhere you want in the world on vacation, I mean, if this is a systematic problem, and it sure seems to be a systematic problem, um, I guess my response would be, okay, until they get a handle on this, Why take a chance? 414-799-1620. Would this change your plans as to where you vacation? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1016. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1018, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I confess, I hadn't given this too terribly much thought, but um, I know lots of people vacation in Mexico. I have been following, as I think many have, the stories of American tourists who are supposedly getting sick, Um, being assaulted in one horrible case out of like Washington County a young woman ends up dead and one of the theories is she was drinking this kind of bootleg liquor um, and ended up passing out and she ended up drowning and apparently more and more people are coming forward with these stories over the weekend uh, Mexican authorities raid a number of resorts and seize over 10,000 gallons of illicit alcohol that was apparently being made and then sold to the resorts and then given to various patrons who were then getting sick on it, All right? Would, would this make you more? I, I was and over the weekend I was talking to people who said we're never we've been to Mexico before we love it but we're concerned about this and we're not going back. Josh and Waukesha. Josh on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning.
7: Morning, Jeff. Love the show. Thank you, sir. Uh, just calling in. Um, my fiance and I are getting married in October. And this heavily influenced our decision. We were thinking about going down to Mexico for a honeymoon the week after, and with everything that's been going on, we just decided, hey, why deal with that? So we're just going to go to the Delta.
0: <laughs> Ride the ducks or something like that, huh?
7: Yeah, be, we want to be relaxed on our honeymoon, not having to worry about if anything's going to happen to us.
0: So this was really, I mean, th- you, know, you know, Mexico has always had issues with, you know, with crime issues and things like that. But it's—I think—the general perception has been, you go to these all-inclusive resorts, and it's pretty safe, especially as long as you stay on property. But even—but sure. now—but it's this concern that you're going to get getting bad alcohol and stuff has you worried enough to at least x out that for your plans, huh?
7: That's correct. Yeah, and we we'd always heard the same thing. You know, you stay on campus and you're safe, but right. and maybe just because of that story, that's. Around here, it's sitting a little too close to him,
0: oh. but. Well, there's all sorts of other people that are coming forward. No, I mean th- thanks to calling. I mean, I, I mean this is it is a big deal. Because, and, and then you, hear, I mean, and, I, and, and it's a two-edged sword for the authorities. Because on the one hand, you you want to make sure, if, if you've got these resorts that are doing this type of stuff, you want to make sure that the practice stops. You want people to be safe. But the flip side is, if, if you find out this is going on, and apparently this is going on, and this has been going on for a while, it has the potential to kill the tourism industry. I, I will tell you, um, this would give me pause, as to whether I would go to one of these places or not, and I understand that you know on any given day you've got thousands, tens of thousands of tourists there, and it's not like everybody getting sick. But at the same time, you have—do you, you want to be the person that you know orders a margarita or whatever, a pina colada, and you get you know you get bad liquor, and next thing you know, you're passed out, and who knows what's happened? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're on six twenty. WTM. Jay.
6: Morning, Jeff. Thanks for the great show and bringing Thank up this topic. Um, we book a trip to Mexico. I've gone every year for the last 15 years or so to a uh, five star all inclusive. And we booked a trip back in spring, and in the last two weeks, we actually canceled our reservation and ate our deposit. And we also uh, had to pay the airline change fees and we are not going to Mexico. We decided to go on a cruise instead, and we purposely chose one that does not stop in Mexico. I don't feel safe about it when 30 to 40 percent of the liquor is adulterated just from production, and the fact that you're seeing um, stories of people who have other adulterants added to it by possibly bartenders or other patrons, and I just didn't feel it was worth the risk, and it's a real shame because it is a great place. It was a great place to go to, but I don't feel safe, and I took the travel advisory from the State Department very seriously.
0: So you mean, and and it was, and it was your decision after going there for years was based on on these current stories. You just didn't want to, you didn't want to take the chance that something could happen, huh?
6: Yes, and I did a little more investigating further, and there's a lot more stories than sure. the Waboko one. This is happening to people nationwide, because these are hotels that have, you know, 4,000 guests at them at some of them. And, you know, it's happening a lot, and a lot of it goes underreported. Oh, sure. And And there's no, the U.S. has no control, really, if anything happens to you in a foreign country. And I do not trust the Mexican authorities to do the right thing 100% of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I am. Su- I mean, I am sure, Matt, uh, Jeff, that this is this is just the tip of the iceberg. Because, I mean, I, oh, yeah. I, I mean, you, you know, you're right. It, it's under report. I'm sure this has happened to. I mean, statistically, I, I don't know how many, but I'm sure it's happened to a lot of people who just you know didn't think anything of it, or just I, I got sick drinking this, or maybe I had too much to drink, and maybe the case is it's they're getting this adulterated you know liquor mixed in with the regular drinks. You don't know what exactly it is that you're getting, and Next thing you know, you end up blacked out in a room, yeah.
6: That's, it's just too scary, and it's unfortunate because it is, like I said, it was a great destination, and it's convenient and affordable, but um, there's a lot of other options for people out there, and I think more people are going to start choosing those options if right. this doesn't get
0: stopped. Right, now thanks for calling. See, and again, this is the catch-22 that that the industry is, that the Mexican tourism industry is in. Because on the one hand, you want to stop it. But, and and, I mean, I applaud them. They they did raise, I mean, 10,000 gallons of illicit liquor shutting down a couple of the bars at these places. That's great. You want to applaud them. It shows that they're doing stuff. At the same time, though, the flip side is it shows you how bad the problem might be, how widespread the problem might be. And then, you know, the vacationers say, on the one hand, it's good that you're trying to crack down on this, but at the other time, and we we got an there's an entire world that we can go to. There's all sorts of all inclusive resorts that are out there. There's all sorts of options. We have cruises, whatever. Like he was talking about, um, you know. I I think it's going to candidly take them a couple years to come back from this. Matt in Oconomowoc. Matt, you're on six hundred and twenty WTMJ. Good morning.
2: Hi. Thanks for taking
5: my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, I just wanted to say that. Uh, We were there in June and took my four kids and my wife, and we felt very safe. We Mm -hmm. had a great experience down there, and we talked about it, and they want to go back next year. Um, I agree with the Mexican authorities, you know, doing that that raid, and that's all great. But um, when we were there, we saw actually people with, like, heat thermometers, making sure that the food was at the proper temperature. We actually saw two people behind the bar testing the liquors. I... I felt very safe, and I just wanted to. Um,
0: right. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't, and it wouldn't change your these stories and all. It wouldn't stop you from going back next year.
5: No, it it, it, it wouldn't. Yeah. I, I had a great time, and to, to know that the Mexican authorities are cracking down and doing something about it actually just kind of makes me feel better.
0: Well, and that and that's clear. I mean, that's clearly the message that they want to send out, and and obviously you you don't want to see. You hope they get a handle on it. But if, for example, I have a, an email from Candy. We actually went to res- the resort where the girl died. Went twice with about four to five families, twelve to thirteen years ago. Beautiful, but we would not go back. It was a safe place, and our seventeen and eighteen year old, our seventeen and eighteen year old kids could drink and enjoy the club. One big fun party week. But it's too bad. We're not going back. Yeah, and I see. I think there's a lot of people that again are are making that decision that you don't want to take. The risk. It's 1026. Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. It's 1028, 28 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. He has been called Canada's greatest songwriter of all time and has provided some of the most iconic songs since the 1960s. Now, Gordon Lightfoot is coming to Milwaukee. I was listening to an interview, I said this earlier, with Jimmy Buffett, and they were saying, okay, you know, wh- who's one of your musical inspirations? He- he's named Gordon Lightfoot. Um, anyhow, Gordon Lightfoot, uh, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, Sundown, you name it, got a lot of great hits. Gordon Lightfoot is coming to Milwaukee, and we are sending you, all right, right now, Caller number 14, 414-799-1620. Caller number 14 wins a pair of tickets to see Gordon Lightfoot. He is going to be performing at the Paps Theater on Sunday, September 17th. Caller 14 gets to go, courtesy of WTMJ and yours truly. Um, coming up in just a couple minutes... Uh, Interesting conversation about New Orleans. You might not be realizing it, but New Orleans is flooded again, and a lot of people are saying, how many times can you rebuild? And a challenger to Governor Walker announces he's anti-Foxconn. Is this a winning strategy? We're going to talk about it all. 10.35, 10.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. My producer, BD, had me chair dancing to that Get Back music. Millennials continue to move back. And that's not a pretty sight, by the way. Not the millennials moving back, but me chair dancing. Millennials continue to move back in with their parents at an increasing rate. Why is this trend continuing, and what's the one thing that could change it? Scafidian and Bilstedt take your calls at 2.35 this afternoon. Maybe it would be mom and dad saying, no. We've raised you. Go out. Be free. Fly. You can't come back and live in our basement. We have our own lives. Just saying. All right. Um, the the dominant state, the dominant local, regional, statewide story is that this whole Foxconn situation. Everybody knows the story. Huge international company Foxconn announcing that it is going to be coming to southeastern Wisconsin. Um, somewhere in Racine or Kenosha, presumably along the freeway, they will be building a massive facility. Foxconn is committed to investing 10B, as in billion dollars, into building the facility. 10B, as in billion dollars. They estimate of, and this is just the investment to build the facility. They estimate that about six to seven billion is going to go to Wisconsin companies. So think. All the contractors that are out there, all the builders, all the people that make supplies that the builders use, it is going to be an enormous windfall. If building the downtown Bucks Arena has been a windfall for, I don't know, local companies and statewide companies and contractors, Foxconn is going to be the Bucks Arena on steroids. So they're putting billions of dollars in. They will have a payroll, they estimate, and it's going to grow over time. But conservatively, they're saying about $800 million a year. Those people will be paying state income taxes. Everybody knows the story, though. In order to get Foxconn to come here, the state has to offer them various tax incentives. So, in other words... um, Because, so they're not going to be paying, they're not going to be paying taxes, for example, look at corporate taxes, and the corporate tax rate on manufacturing is very low, but they're not going to be paying much the payback period for the amount of tax breaks and credits we're going to advance. Now this is independent of the money they're spending on the construction, but the payback just for the tax credits they're going to get, and of course, if we don't give them the tax credits, they don't come. So yeah, we don't give them any breaks, but we also don't get anything in return. We don't get the jobs in return. We don't get the investment in infrastructure in return. We get, you know, nothing. But the, the payback on just the tax breaks is about 25 years. So you have some people, predominantly, in my opinion, the anti-Walker crowd, the people who, rather than wanting to see the state succeed and thrive and grow, are just obsessed with well Scott Walker is going to get credit for this, so it, it must be bad. The same people who, if it were Jim Doyle who was announcing something like this, would be turning cartwheels. Oh, these are jobs. So instead, we we have a lot of the ankle biters. Well, you know what? What do we know? How many jobs there are going to be? And, and maybe yeah, maybe there'll be three or four or five or six thousand jobs. But maybe they'll do some automation later on. I mean, who who knows what's going to happen? You know, moving forward into into the future, but. Foxconn, I have argued strongly, is really a game changer. Well, there's a number of backbenchers that are out there announcing that they want to run against Governor Walker. And I think what has now sunk in is they recognize, first, number one, that Foxconn is going to happen. And, And Foxconn is going to happen you have overwhelming majorities in the uh, republicans in the state legislature the state senate is going to pass foxconn the state assembly is going to cha- pass foxconn i mean ultimately the memorandum of understanding or the legislation is it, going to get done i don't know ultimately what the final form is but you have some of these backbenchers who have decided we don't want walker to get credit for it we want to be on the other side of that uh, State Representative Dana Walks, who is the classic example, guy is from Eau Claire, the classic example of a, a backbencher. He's decided, he's he gonna, he's running against Governor Walker, and I don't think any of these people that are out there have any chance, a snowball's chance in you know where of beating Governor Walker. But, but they're, they're out there trying to get uh, attention. So, State Representative Dana Walks, here's the story, is pledging to vote against the Foxconn deal making him is now the sharpest critic of the proposal um the way the Journal Sentinel writes it, in exchange for environmental exemptions and up to 2.85 billion dollars in cash from state taxpayers. Well, it's not a direct outlay of cash, but anyways, Foxconn has said it would build a 10 billion dollar plant that would employ 3,000 initially and as many as 13,000 in the coming months. Walk says he believes the deal is being voted on too quickly. Um, there's things I can't get over. I think it is a terrible deal for the taxpayers. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I think this, number one, is political suicide to argue against Foxconn. Number two, I think it is the people who argue against it, the people who decided they think that they can make short-term political points by saying, we don't want Foxconn. I think they should be ashamed of themselves. This is something that can in fact be transformational. And the idea that well okay we don't, maybe it's not going to exactly be the right t- kind of job, do you really really want Foxconn to say no? Do you really, really, really want the Foxconn deal not to happen? Do you really want to see 3 or 5 or 10 or 13,000 jobs and $10 billion of spending just in infrastructure alone? Do you really want to see that go to Detroit or Indiana or Nevada? Have you people no shame? I mean, I understand that the politics of this is you don't want Scott Walker to get credit for it, but really... Don't you want to see this state do well? 414-799-1620, this opposition to Foxconn, like I say, the deal is going to happen, but you've got some of these ankle biters out there who have decided to put political expediency ahead, in my opinion at least, of the interest of the state. Okay, let's discuss. 414-799-1620 is a number. We're back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1042. This is Jeff Wagner. Forty-four, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Okay, there's this backbencher, state representative, who's one of the, many of the little minions that are the ankle biters that are running against Scott Walker. And, and what's happening now is some of these people, in my opinion, for political purposes, have decided well, we've got to be against Foxconn. We, we've got we got to oppose three, five, ten, thirteen thousand jobs. We've got to oppose. Um, Ten billion dollars up front in infrastructure spending because, well, we don't want Scott Walker to get credit for doing this. And I think it's short-sighted. I think it's appalling. I also think it, it's incredibly, you know, bad politics. Um, Mitch in Sturgeon Bay, who's one of our regular texters, yeah, he's got a good one. He sends in. He says, um, "Let's see, um, avoid uh, what is what's it? Um, avoid the Christmas rush." Um, commit political suicide now. I mean, it just, I, I just, it's been so frustrating to me. We have been looking at trying to figure out a way to create jobs. You know, we've been doing it: ten jobs here, twenty jobs here, thirty jobs here. This is thousands of good-paying, family-supporting jobs, and you have the same people who have been arguing, "Oh, we need more and more jobs," who are now saying, "Well, we're not sure that we want to do this." Really? Let's talk to Tim in Elkhart Lake. Tim, you're on six twenty. to WTMJ.
8: Yes, uh, I was just telling your uh, uh, producer there that, right. uh, that uh, I think Foxconn is a wonderful deal. First of all, uh, you you're going to be drawing people. Illinois is bankrupt. You're going to draw, be drawing people out of Illinois, mm-hmm. uh, not only not only uh, for Foxconn but for other businesses that will be supporting Foxconn. The people who feel that it, that it's not a good deal, these people are the old. Union people, who the the thought of Foxconn becoming uh, uh, unionized is highly unlikely. No, right,
0: it's not going to be unionized. That's right. Yeah, uh,
8: because we're a right-to-work state, which I agree with. And the other thing, even if Foxconn deal falls through, let's say they don't get thousands of jobs, it's only 500 jobs, we still need the infrastructure there. Oh, yeah. And you say, well, what about the taxes, tax break we give them? Well, if they don't go through, how much taxes are we going to get from them anyway? Well,
0: right, right. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's like okay. If we do nothing, we we get nothing in return. That's that's what's so mind boggling to me. See, see, the t- thing that Tim, the thing I can't get past is exactly what you just said. They're they're going to build the facility. They are going to spend billions of dollars in building the facility. If they spend all that money and then decide to leave it vacant, we're still ahead of the game. And they're not, that's not going to happen. But we're still ahead of the game because they've spent all that money hiring people, hiring Wisconsin contractors, building the thing. It will be a $10 billion jolt to the infrastructure and the economy, you know, before you even start talking about anything else.
8: Exactly, and if they did fall through, and you got that $10 billion uh, infrastructure there, don't you think somebody else is going to come in from Illinois? Sure. From Illinois? I bet you there are. I bet you there's a lot sure. of businesses right now are looking at the border and the short distance and, sure. and the transportation and everything going into Wisconsin because Illinois has corrupt government.
0: And they're bankrupt. It's a mess. And they're bankrupt. Yeah. And they're bankrupt. Yeah. Thanks for right. You're, and of course, and it's not. Go, thanks for calling Tim. And it's not going to fall through. I mean, you're not going to build that facility and then just simply say we're not going to use it. Now, look, I I don't. My crystal ball is cloudy. I can't tell you if they're going to get thirteen thousand jobs and how soon they're going to have it. I can't tell you if they're going to get up to eight thousand jobs and then they start to automate. I can't guarantee you that. Gee, every job is going to pay you know fifty three thousand dollars a year plus benefits. But but they're jobs. Their, their jobs. And I guess, I, and I, credit where credit is due, Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett has not played politics. He hasn't been like this Dana Walks out in Eau Claire, the guy who wants to be governor and who presumably would turn down Foxconn. I mean, Barrett recognizes that this, this is important for the region. And I said this before, it was one of the things that was so frustrating to me about Congresswoman Gwen Moore. Uh, she doesn't even show up when they announce this. You know, when they announce this, she doesn't show up. I mean, she represents the city of Milwaukee. Where if you want to talk about you know poverty, you want to talk about high levels of unemployment, you know you you look at the city of Milwaukee. People like Gwen Moore, people like some of the state representatives from Milwaukee, they should be turning handstands. Their question shouldn't be what? Well, gee, we don't know if we want to vote for Foxconn or not, or what. They should be talking about hey, you know what? What is How are we going to get the transportation worked out? How are, you know, is there something that we can do to, you know, make sure that we can make it easier for, you know, the people who are looking for jobs in my congressional district that borders on the congressional district where this is, that we can get them that 15 or 20 miles, you know, back and forth to Foxconn. Now, I recognize from a training perspective, a lot of people who are out of work, to the extent they're looking for work in Gwenmore's district, might not have the training or the background or the technical skills to do some of, you know, these type of jobs at Foxconn, but they're gonna have the technical skills, they're gonna have the ability to do other jobs that are gonna arise for the need to, to again, you know, work at, at Foxconn. Okay, maybe they're not gonna be on the assembly line, but maybe they're gonna be doing other stuff. It is the possibility of having jobs all across the spectrum. And you have these ankle biters who are going, well, I don't like this or, or no, or I, I'm just kind of concerned about you know, the outlay. Well, yeah, but it, they're, you're going to make an outlay, but it's not like we're saying, okay, taxpayers, give us $3 billion. We're going to give it to Foxconn, boom, and then wait for them to pay it off. That's not how this whole thing works. Let's talk to Craig in Appleton. Craig, you're on 620 WTMJ.
6: Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Hi, Craig. Hi,
5: first- comment would be, to answer your question, politicians have no shame. <laughs> I mean, that's the short of it. Um, I would appreciate, uh, uh, well, first, first I'd say I'm, I'm predisposed to like the deal. Right. I, I'm, I'm pro-jobs, pro-growth, and, uh, you know, fairly trusting of, uh, of Walker. Um, but I would like to see a business case. That had to that has to have been prepared, that quantifies all the different benefits, and and mm-hmm. then could be weighed against the the incentive package.
3: Yeah, a full
0: co- a full like cost benefit analysis.
5: Yes, I think that'd be very valuable.
0: Yeah, I think you know, and I think I mean that that's I mean I, I think that's fair. Um, that there's a lot of variables to this, but I guess see the thing that really strikes me is the the way. And I'm not going to fault the media on this because it, it's. But but the the perception I think that some people have is, we are going to take three billion dollars in current revenue, um, we're going to pull it out of the state coffers, we're going to give it to Foxconn, and then they're going to you know pay it back over time. That, that's not how this. That's not how this works. In in large part, the money that the state taxpayers are going to be giving Foxconn, are, is money that it, they are foregoing. You know, in exchange of taxes or things like that. So, I mean, it's, it's not like here. We're reaching into your wallet and taking three billion dollars. That's the point that so many of you have been making that I think a lot of people lose sight of, that it's not money that's coming out of people's pockets. And if you don't do anything, yeah, y- yes, you don't have to give them tax breaks or anything like that, but at the same time, you're not going to get anything in in return, and the way they are structuring the deal is the incentives, the breaks, all those type of things are conditioned upon Foxconn meeting certain goals. Now, I, I, I understand people say, well, what about this plant in Pennsylvania? Oh, okay, yes, they said they were coming to Pennsylvania. I don't know why they chose not to do it. All right, so, but but again. That that's not a reason to not do this here. It's not like Pennsylvania went out and is out billions of, of dollars. It's just that for whatever reason, Foxconn ended up pulling out of this. I do think it's fair that you you know again you want to have the protections that are in there. But I again I just can't get past the infrastructure investment. I mean, just again think about what's going on in downtown Milwaukee with that Bucks Arena. That money has been spent. They're building that arena. The people that are building the arena, including lots of local people who work for lots of local contractors, they've gotten hired. They've gotten jobs. They're making money. They are paying taxes. They are supporting their families on this project that if we hadn't done it, would not have, have existed. So, yes, I understand over time there's the commitment of taxpayer money, but this is, this is the arena project on, on steroids. And I guess what is so frustrating, I, I read some of these, these opinion pieces, including some state representatives, that are just flat out, I hate to use the word stupid, but they are stupid. I mean, the, the argument that, well, we should take three billion dollars and we should, we should hire, we should hire teachers and we should pick, fix the roads. Well, okay, F- first of all, we're, we're not taking three billion dollars. Again, a lot of this is going to be in deferred payments and things like that and tax incentives and stuff like that. But, but even if you, even if you accept the argument, which is a false premise that we're, we're going to be giving them actually three billion dollars in cash out of hand, alright, say you, Say you do, hire some, you spend some money, okay, we're going to hire some teachers, we're going to fix the roads, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, once that money is gone, it's gone. And here with Foxconn, you are investing money in the company, and presumably the company grows, it hires people, people have jobs, you are getting some sort of return. You're just not spending the money for the sake of spending the money. Again, I think... I, this is, it's just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and what frustrates me, again, is some of the people who are throwing the cold water on this, if it wasn't Scott Walker who helped put this together, if it wasn't Donald Trump who helped put this together, if this were Barack Obama and Jim Doyle, they would be endorsing this wholeheartedly. And anybody who was saying no would be being criticized for essentially trying to stop progress and wanting the state to fail. Well, now the shoe is on the other foot. Like I say, for any state representative out of Milwaukee who votes against this, you should lose your job, period, because you are voting directly against the interests of your constituents who need the opportunity to have jobs. And instead of being a naysayer on Foxconn, you should be able to be out there actively trying to figure out, gee, how can I make it easier for my my constituents to be benefited from Foxconn and get jobs maybe if you put politics aside for a minute and started trying to think about the good of your own constituents you would um, again be much better off I'm not going to hold my breath and like I say the Foxconn deal is going to go through Um, the big question is will it go through with bipartisan support or will the Democrats in Wisconsin be like lemmings to the sea and follow backbenchers like this Dana Walks as they walk off a cliff Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. She's an acclaimed war correspondent who then married a U.S. ambassador. Her life and her fascinating story, don't miss it, during Wisconsin's Afternoon News with John McCure at 3.50 this afternoon. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes... What do you do with places like New Orleans that keep flooding? What do you do with the girls in the Slenderman jury trial? Their trial is coming up in the Slenderman case, and we've got an opioid crisis. Can you blame the doctors? Stick around. It's nine. It's nine. It's ten fifty nine. This is Jeff Wagner. <laughs> It's 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us on a Monday morning. I tell you, some people are back to school today. It, it is almost impossible for me to believe that summer is slipping away like this, but that is the reality. It's uh, Summer kind of... I, I know... I know if you look at the calendar, this isn't how it works out. But the end of the state fair is kind of like always to me the unofficial sign of summer starting to wind down. And you go, where did this, where did this go now? Fall, particularly early fall. I tell people, you know, September and October, I think just absolutely beautiful around here, and the changing colors and all that sort of stuff. It's just, just absolutely tremendous. But at the same time, I mean, you know, we wait all year for summer to come along, and still a lot of summer left and a lot of opportunities to do things. But, unfortunately, once the kids start getting ready to go back to school, that is an indicator. All right, I um, remember a few years, I think it was 2010, when we had the massive rainfall. I mean, I, I remember this, the sinkhole off of uh, North Avenue there, and it, the 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 road collapsed. Real good friend of mine. She works in uh, in the scene, you know, and she was trying to make her way back during that heavy rainstorm, and and just you know wasn't wasn't able to do it. The roads were just almost impassable, and had to find a place to stay. And she was the same one. Unfortunately, that you know had the basement flooding. She lives in Whitefish Bay, and had the basement flooding, and had to replace the furnace and the hot water heater and all that type of all that type of stuff. Now her flooding was sewer backups. There's two types of, of flooding that you can have. You can have the sewer backup where the, the system is overwhelmed, and then stuff kind of backs up and comes up through your drain. The the other type of flooding is the just the the intensive rainfall that causes flooding from the exterior, and. From an insurance perspective, it makes a difference as to what type of flooding you have without going into any details. Now, I was fortunate back when, when we had that heavy rain where I lived, I, I didn't. I had like a trickle of water in the basement. I mean, I didn't have any sewer back up. I didn't have any flooding. But I, but I saw the, the massive damage that this caused all throughout the area. And what it did is it inspired me to say, okay, I'm going to go out and, and I'm going to get a flood insurance policy. Through the and the federal government underwrites this, and I I, I figured, look, we're we're never going to need this, and there, there's limits on what it it covers, and there's limits on the the amount of coverage that you have. But still I thought, okay, okay, my home's a major investment and if if somehow you get this kind of external flooding, you know, it's worth whatever it is a year, like a few it's a few hundred bucks. But it's worth it to protect yourself and you hope you never use it. So I mean I've had a flood insurance policy even though my home is never flooded, but it's for that, that again, that practice that, that's there. The federal government, like I say, underwrites flood insurance. And it, flood insurance they, they lose tons of money every year because there are some homes and some communities that are built in areas that flood on a regular basis. I mean, it seems to me that almost every spring, when we have the heavy rains like we have in the spring, you will see stories, for example, there, there's some locations in Kenosha and Racine, and it seems to me it's always the same communities that, that are flooding. Maybe not every year, but every couple of years, you know, they're they're, they're flooding. And I swear sometimes, you, unfortunately, you see the same people, you know, on TV year after year after year talking about how, you know, their, their homes have been flooded out. But yet they choose to live in these particular areas. And believe me, I understand the damage that water can cause. I can't imagine what it would be like to be flooded out. But there are some areas and some communities, low lying areas, communities really, really close to streams, whatever, that tend to get swollen when there's heavy rain and there's not a lot you can do about it. One of the classic examples of that is the city of New Orleans. Now let me say I love the city of New Orleans, all right I do. But the city of New Orleans is it's at or below sea level. Right, it's surrounded. You've got the Gulf of Mexico, you've got Lake Pontchartrain, and you know the city of New Orleans ha- has flooded um, on, on multiple occasions 78, 83, and ninety five. Um, it had freshwater flooding when there were huge amounts of rainfall. August of two, and then um, August of two thousand five. Everybody remembers Hurricane Katrina. Um, you know, Hurricane Katrina just absolutely devastated the cities. You had the intensive rainfall, you had the city's levees that didn't, you know, stand up, and you know, we 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 all remember the pictures, people living in the Superdome. I mean, following, you know, following Katrina with the loss of life, um What Congress did is they moved in. We spent $14.5 billion to build a new levee system. There was $2 billion spent to enhance the city's drainage system. But you still have a city that's essentially below sea level and is constantly being menaced by the, the Gulf of Mexico. Well, what happened was a week ago, Saturday, another massive, another massive rainfall. That, that hit. They got. Well, let me see. Was it like twenty nine inches of rain in just four hours? Um, what happened is the, the city's pumping system that's supposed to you know, get rid of the water. It was overwhelmed by nine inches of rain in four hours, and what happened is um, it flooded again. Central New Orleans was covered by several feet of water. It took 14 hours to drain, and again, you had not the loss of life that you had during Katrina, but an incredible loss of, of again, resources, value, things like that. And the, the truth of the matter is that even after spending billions and billions and billions of dollars to try to improve the levee system and improve the pumping system and things like that, you still have th- this city, which is in an area that is always going to be incredibly vulnerable when Mother Nature decides, here, we're going to have these rainstorms. Now, it, 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 it's interesting. They said that these levees, um, some of them are built to withstand a 100-year storm. Now, let me put that in perspective. What that means is, in any given year, There is a 1% chance of that type of storm occurring. doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen once every 100 years. It means in any given year, there is a 1% chance that you're going to have a a catastrophic type of system. The storm that they had a week ago Saturday, the one that dumped the 9 inches of rain in a couple hours, they say that that was a 50 to 100 year event, but... But their, their system is geared to handle like a once in a decade event, not a once in every 50 years. And the city is always going to be vulnerable. And every time this happens, you're you know you're selling you know you're, you're spending billions of dollars, which raises this question. And I use New Orleans as an example. Um, and it, New Orleans is a great American city. I've had a lot of fun in New Orleans over the years. But whether it's New Orleans or some of these other very very vulnerable areas. Places in Kenosha that flood all the time. At some point in time, do we need to say people just flat need to move? 414 799 1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. All the rest of us, the, the, the cost that I pay in flood insurance given the fact that it's very unlikely that my property is going to flood, that money is largely due to the fact that there's people who are living in the high areas and they're the ones living in areas that are highly prone to flood. So they're paying a ton of money. At some point in time, do we kind of have to say there are just some areas in the United States, and and again, maybe it's locally, maybe it's nationally, where we just can't keep rebuilding because they are just too vulnerable. Cindy in Wauwatosa. Cindy, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ.
7: Good morning, Jeff. Um, I grew up in New Orleans, and I was there as a child during, in 1965 when Hurricane Betsy hit, which was not quite as bad as Katrina. Well, maybe right. the storm itself was, but it didn't hit the exact way. And the same exact area flooded completely out. People died. And people's philosophy in New Orleans is, well, so, you know, it's the way it is. It's called the big easy, you know right. I just I just dropped my sister off at the airport. Um, she's going down for a dear friend funeral and I said, you know it's flooding down there again. and she said, well, I've talked to 20 people already and nobody's even mentioned that the roads are bad. so' so <laughs> used to it that they just you know in 65 my dad who was from Chicago said they should pick up the whole darn city and move it up to Baton Rouge. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: right. It, it, and, see, and I get Cindy, and I, I understand all that. I mean I, part of the, the part of the problem is, I mean clearly you I don't I don't think there's anything the Army Corps of Engineers, the federal government's gonna do to stop if, if they get nine inches of rain in four no, hours.
7: <laughs> uh, as a child, whenever it rained heavy we would flood. I mean I'm right. talking almost daily sometimes in the summer. We just took it in stride because there was nothing they could do. Now, they've improved it, but it's still, yeah. to this day, when it rains heavy, the streets flood.
0: Well, right, and because, I mean, you're, you're at or below sea level. I mean, you've got right. the Gulf of Mexico. You've got Lake Pontchartrain. Yeah, it, it's just very vulnerable. Do you think we're ever going to get to a point where people, are, where they're just going to flat, flat out say, it's just, it's just too dangerous to live here. This isn't inhabitable. Well, you've got to move. a
7: lot of my childhood friends have moved across the lake to Covington and Slidell of that because it does not flood like that right so i think you know the people that are able to are getting out of the area but you know a lot of people they're they're not going to leave right. I a lot of people i know during katrina refused to leave it's right. just another hurricane yeah
0: <laughs> and you know, a lot of people and like, a lot of people went back after katrina they got flooded out as well
7: oh my the, the man who passed away i mean they went they drove up to tennessee but they drove right back during Hurricane Betsy, when the winds were 210 miles an hour, we—by the time my dad got back to New Orleans, he was a traveling salesman. We could not leave, and most people didn't. We just all stayed there and, you know, sat and boarded up all the windows and did what we could.
0: So. Right. Yeah. Now, thanks to call, Cindy. I appreciate. It. We continue the conversation. I mean, are there? And, and look, I mean, I think people make choices, but at the same time. If, if you're, if you're in an area that is going to flood on a regular basis, and the reality is there's nothing you can do to stop it, at some point in time, is it the federal government or local government's responsibility to keep putting billions and billions of dollars into trying to protect something that you're probably never going to protect? Um, it's 1120. This is Jeff Wagner. 620 WTMJ. It's 1123, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The president is expected to make a statement on what happened in Charlottesville over the weekend. Any moment now, we're watching that. When uh, when he speaks, we will carry it live. Uh, Mike, on the northwest side. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
2: Yeah, yeah. good
5: morning, Jeff. Hi. I think that these people that, you know, we're experiencing these 100-year storms annually.
3: Right. And
5: uh, they should actually, uh, we should just bail out on this because uh, we're Spending money, sending it down the drain. Uh, insurance companies probably going to have to take a hit, which means our insurance policies might take a hit for a little bit. Sure, but to, to keep uh, to keep this going afloat, you know, even Mother Nature, uh, animals move to higher ground when they see it stuff happen, unless what? they're.
0: Would you feel yeah. the same way about like some of the again some of the there's some very flood prone areas even around southeastern Wisconsin. It seems to be every time you get heavy rain, it's the same places that flood over and over again. Would you feel the same way about some of those places?
2: Sure, you got the yeah. same people in Kenosha and Racine. You can you don't even have to send reporters down. Just play the tape from last year.
0: Yeah, it, it is. And it, I mean, you know, you live. Very near some of these like rivers and stuff that always overflow, and it does seem it's the same neighborhoods over and over again. And you hate to say it, but it's just some. I think over the years we have built some in some places that just where it's just unsustainable. You know, it's that's just the reality. Uh,
2: Common sense would say move.
0: Um, got it. No, thank, thanks for calling. Well, and of course, I mean, like I say, the, the downside is increased insurance premiums that everybody pay, as well as again the costs of the emergency management system. I mean, they're, they're putting, I mean, they've put literally tens of billions of dollars into New Orleans since Katrina just to try to improve the levees and improve the pumping, and, and you get nine inches of rain in four hours, and the whole darn city's underwater again. I mean, that tells me that there's just limits as to what can happen. Rick in Milwaukee, Rick, you're on 620 WT. MJ, good
6: morning. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Hey, uh, you mentioned the idea that you had bought flood insurance for uh, the area you right. live in. And it's my understanding that unless you're in a floodplain, flood insurance will do you no good in reference to a sewer backup. Right,
0: right. It's, you it, have right, to your home... have sewer backup insurance. Y- yeah, I mean, no, you're, you're right, Rick. You're, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, the, there, the sewer backup is going to be covered... Under your homeowners policy, you might, and again, you, you want to, I don't want to. I don't want to play insurance agent here. But right there, there's two types of water damage. Maybe there's more, but there's the flood insurance, which is the external. Oh my gosh, you've got the river that's flooded, and that's what's causing the damage. Typically, that's not going to be covered on a homeowners insurance policy. That's what you're going to need the flood insurance for. And then there's the sewer backup which is, again, the sewer is backed up because of the raging water. If it's sewer backup, that's going to be covered under your homeowner's insurance policy, it, or, or or maybe you need a special rider or something. It's going to depend on what the policy is. But you're exactly right. The flood insurance, the way I understand it, covers the external stuff, the outside flooding. If that's what causes the damage, it doesn't cover the sewer backup. Sewer backup is under your homeowner's policy. And if you're concerned about this, and by the way, I would recommend people check it out, uh, check it out. Okay, let's take a quick break. Again, we're awaiting the President's remarks. It's 1126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. twenty nine. <clears throat> Jeff Wagner, six twenty, W T M J He's been called Canada's greatest songwriter of all time and has provided some of the most iconic songs since the 1960s. Now, Gordon Lightfoot, I love Gordon Lightfoot, is coming to Milwaukee, and we are sending you, listen again tomorrow and all this week, to my program for your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Gordon Lightfoot at the Pabst Theater on Sunday, September 17th. Like I say, sometime each day this week between 8.30 and noon, we'll be giving you your chance to win a pair of tickets. As I mentioned, um, and as we started off the program, it was actually a big thing, Number one, lots of controversy. Interestingly enough, it, there, there seems to be, in, on some levels, more outrage about what President Trump did and didn't say. Following this horrible situation in Charlottesville, Virginia, after the weekend, where you have the neo-Nazi supporter who drove his car into a a bunch of protesters, there's almost more outrage over what President Trump did or did not say than there is about the underlying incident, as tough as that is to believe. President Trump is expected to be making some remarks about that in just a couple minutes. Um, The comment they told us was shortly. So we are... I don't know what shortly means, but we are monitoring that. We will bring you the remarks when he addresses the nation. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ with the National League Central race tightening up. The Brewers will look to keep the Pirates at bay as they welcome them in for a short, short being two-game midweek series. Game one from Miller Park is tomorrow night with Bob and Jeff hitting our airways, 6.05 here on WTMJ. I, I was talking to somebody about the Brewers the, the other day, and I just, I, I, I don't want to be, this terminally rosy guy, and believe me, as they 've gone on this lose now, I understand they 've won the last two games, but they have been struggling after the all star break you know they couldn 't get hitting, and then a couple times when they do get hitting, like uh, Friday night, they end up losing eleven to ten because the pitching goes you know where and i, I don 't mean to be overly rosy, but as I was trying to explain to people, I, I remember when we were doing our opening day show. And I'm willing to bet that if we, when we talked to the general manager or we talked to Mark Atnazio, the owner, and we had said, hey, all right, we're going to be pushing halfway through August. If the Brewers would be above 500 and two games out of first place in the National League Central, would you be happy? And the truth is, I think if we said that, everybody would have been thrilled. I mean everybody would have said, "Yeah, that that's great. We're in a rebuilding team, that you know we our goal if you know we won 73 games last year, if we can win, you know, if we can finish 500, meaning we win 81 games, that's going to be a, a sign of progress. I think a lot of people would be happy about that. So what what's going on now is I think the logical progression of kind of where where the team is. Now they had a great start. You know, they were up at one point in time with 9 or 10 games over 500. Um so it's a little bit depressing to see, you know, what's happened, to see the slump. And I get all that. I understand all that. But at the same time, you know, big picture. If you look at the, the season as a body of work, you know, they're they're maybe they're still ahead of where they should be. I mean they're they're a better than five hundred team and, you know, who knows? I mean maybe maybe they can go on a hot streak, maybe they can go on a run and, you know, win the next seven or eight games and then they're back in first place. I don't know. I'm not making that prediction. But I think you have to I, again, I think you have to have the right perspective. And the right perspective on this team is even understanding some of the frustrations and some of the limitations, and they clearly have some limitations, even understanding all that, there's still, I mean, it's still a pretty good season. It is a rebuilding process. All right, we, we just got, two minutes ago, we got the two-minute warning. Um, uh, the The president, just to kind of review the bidding here, and, and we started off the program talking about this um Charlottesville Virginia which is the home of the University of Virginia about 2 hours outside of, of DC it's a a small town um it's a college town and it has become ground zero in the battle over Confederate monuments there in the sort of like in the town square there's a monument to Robert E Lee and you've had a number of people not really locals but outside I want to say outside agitators who have been trying to pressure Charlotte to get rid of this statue. What's happened is you have a number of the the white supremacists, the KKK types, who've decided, okay, this is going to be ground zero. We are going to fight to preserve the Robert E. Lee statue. If you talk to, and we did earlier this morning, a resident of, of Charlottesville, this is not a big issue in Charlottesville. At least it wasn't a big issue in Charlottesville. But what had happened is you had outside outside groups. You had the KKK and the white supremacist folks. They're coming in to have all sorts of rallies, again, ostensibly uh, to support the statue. I'm in
9: Washington today.
0: No, here's the, here's, the, to uh, here's with the president.
9: My economic team about trade policy and major tax cuts and reform. We are renegotiating trade deals and making them good for the American worker, and it's about time. Our economy is now strong. The stock market continues to hit record highs. Unemployment is at a 16-year low, and businesses are more optimistic than ever before. Companies are moving back to the United States and bringing many thousands of jobs with them. We have already created over one million jobs since I took office. We will be discussing economic issues in greater detail later this afternoon. But based on the events that took place over the weekend in Charlottesville, Virginia, I would like to provide the nation with an update on the ongoing federal response to the horrific attack and violence that was witnessed by everyone. I just met with FBI Director Christopher Wray and Attorney General Jeff Sessions. The Department of Justice has opened a civil rights investigation into the deadly car attack that killed one innocent American and wounded 20 others. To anyone who acted criminally in this weekend's racist violence, you will be held fully accountable. Justice will be delivered. As I said on Saturday, We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence. It has no place in America. And as I have said many times before, no matter the color of our skin, we all live under the same laws. We all salute the same great flag. And we are all made by the same Almighty God, we must love each other, show affection for each other, and unite together in condemnation of hatred, bigotry, and violence. We must rediscover the bonds of love and loyalty that bring us together as Americans. Racism is evil, and those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. We are a nation founded on the truth that all of us are created equal. We are equal in the eyes of our Creator. We are equal under the law. And we are equal under our Constitution. Those who spread violence in the name of bigotry strike at the very core of America. Two days ago, a young American woman, Heather Heyer, was tragically killed. Her death fills us with grief, and we send her family our thoughts, our prayers, and our love. We also mourn the two Virginia State troopers who died in service to their community, their commonwealth, and their country. Troopers Jay Cullen and Burt Bates, exemplify the very best of America, and our hearts go out to their families, their friends, and every member of American law enforcement. These three fallen Americans embody the goodness and decency of our nation. In times such as these, America has always shown its true character, responding to hate with love, Division with unity and violence with an unwavering resolve for justice. As a candidate, I promise to restore law and order to our country and our federal law enforcement agencies are following through on that pledge. We will spare no resource in fighting so that every American child can grow up free from violence and fear. We will defend and protect the sacred rights of all Americans, and we will work together so that every citizen in this blessed land is free to follow their dreams in their hearts and to express the love and joy in their souls. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you very much.
0: eleven forty-four. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Those are the president's remarks. Um, You you might have heard a couple of the news people saying, Mr. President, why why did you wait two days to to say that? All right. We've got one segment, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. President Trump coming out, condemning the hate acts, calling out um, the KKK, white supremacists and other groups, will this make the controversy over his remarks on Saturday where he denounced hate groups but didn't mention white supremacists and didn't mention the KKK will the people who were appalled now now be satisfied did the president say the right thing will this make this latest controversy go away what do you think I'll give you my take, and we'll discuss in just a minute. It's 1145, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, does this controversy now go away? Did the President say all the right things? 414-799-1620. It's 1145. It's 1148, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, here, here, here is the problem. And we started off the program discussing the, the outrage or the the supposed outrage over President Trump's response to the incident the horrific thing, the criminal behavior that went on by the 20-year-old crazy neo-Nazi kid who drove from Ohio to Charlottesville, Virginia, and ended up driving his car into a crowd of people who were protesting the white supremacists, who were protesting the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue. Um, I, I think I didn't find anything wrong with what the president said on on Saturday. Um, At the time he made the statement that the facts, you had the fog of war going on. The person, I don't know if the person, I guess he'd been arrested, but they hadn't identified his background and things like that. And the president came out and condemned hate crimes, bigotry, all those things. Well, the criticism was, well, you didn't specifically call out the white supremacists. Well, okay, you you called out people who commit crimes of, of hatred. So, you know, here... Here, I think, you know, what happens is this is a more involved sort of statement. He clearly denounced, you know, the KKK. He denounced white supremacists. He denounced anybody who is out there perpetrating hate crimes. I, I think what he said was completely and totally appropriate. I also think that it was an appropriate follow-up to the remarks that he made on Saturday. But again, you you heard some of the mainstream media. Well, why didn't you say this yesterday? Well, okay, Well, he he said it today. And I guess my concern is that there there are people out there who decide to politicize this. And again, I'm one of these guys. I criticize the president when I think he deserves it. And I I don't criticize him in the face of other people who do when I think it is unfair criticism. I thought the criticism on Saturday was unfair. Um, I, I think... His remarks were just fine. I think his remarks were outstanding and it hit the appropriate tone today. My concern is that this isn't going to change anything because, again, the, the people who wanted to be upset and offended by what he said on on. Saturday, well, they're gonna to wanna to be upset and offended. Okay, that's our text line has just exploded. Paul and McGuanico says, I don't think this will change anything because those who started the latest controversy don't agree with anything Trump says. Um Let's see. Of course it won't go away. We've already heard the next attempt to sabotage Trump, which was, why did it take two days? Nothing will ever be good enough. I think his message was great. And while I'm not a big fan of Trump, I am also ready for the attacks to stop. Another text. Well said, Mr. President. No matter what he says, people will always find something wrong with President Trump. He came out today saying, hate in any form is wrong. We all need to get along and respect each other. Um, well Said, um, let's see, um, uh, let's see, and a number of other texts as well. Um, let's see, uh, Trump said what people wanted to hear. Question still is going to be, you know, why did he wait? Right? You already heard that. You know, why did he wait? Ellen in Whitefish Bay. Ellen, good morning. You're on six hundred and twenty WTMJ. Oh,
3: good morning,
1: Jeff. Uh, my comment is that I think that I didn't vote for Trump, but my comment is that in order for him to get some foothold. With people who didn't vote for him, he, they have to learn to trust him. Mm-hmm. And you have to see a bigger connection between what he says and what he does. Now, what he said this morning was good, but now we have to see it, see some action that goes along with that. I, I feel like I don't see enough of that.
0: What sort of thing, I'm, just, I'm kind of curious, what sort of action would you like to see him take?
1: Okay, an action that he could take. Um,
0: I... Okay, you, I, can you can say I'm not sure. <laughs> that's okay. I didn't I mean to put you I, on the I spot. Guess
1: I'm not, I, I guess I'm, I'm not sure. I guess that, uh, I just think that he needs to... I don't know.
0: Okay, no, fair enough. I, I didn't mean I, to put I'm you on the spot. I'm
1: not no. sure, but I, I I know it if I see it. That's okay. really a weak cop-out.
0: No, 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 no. That's fair, Al. I mean, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I was, I was just genuinely curious because I guess the reason I ask that, and I'm not saying you, Ellen, but I, I am... See I am convinced that there is a, a segment of of Trump haters out there that it doesn't and not, not you but there's a segment of Trump haters out there that it wouldn't matter it wouldn't matter what he did or he said they're out there actively trying to parse his words, or it, and, and nothing will ever be good enough. I mean, you have some of that in Wisconsin with some of the people that are affected by, by Walker derangement syndrome. Again, oh, you're bringing 13,000 jobs to the state. Well, we don't want that, but they're not the right kind of, whatever. It, it's that sort of stuff. Now, again, I, I think... I, I didn't find anything wrong with what he said on on Saturday. Could it have been more involved? Um, especially since he made his remarks before we knew all the facts surrounding what happened in Charlottesville. Um, could it have been a stronger denunciation? Oh, okay, you know, maybe, but he did denunciate hate. Now he's singled out the KKK, he's singled out white supremacists, and lumped them in, you know, with, with others. On our text line, somebody texts. Um, also, maybe he was trying to get all the facts before passing judgment. I do think that there was an element to that as well. and that element being you know President Trump decided President Trump President Obama decided to weigh in on Ferguson either before he had all the facts or ignoring some of the facts. And candidly, I think he ended up making the situation worse. Um, with some of the things he said and some of the seemed like taking sides in in the matter um, I think I think they've accomplished something and I, I mean I think Trump is I, no, some people aren't going to be happy but I, I think he's made a pretty good statement I'm sorry I wish we had some more time for calls um, I, I think will people be happy no that's gonna be the next day story why did he wait two days to do it well okay he, he waited two days presumably because he wanted to get all the facts and calculate the response I think, The response was just fine. It is 1154. Steve Scafidi and Eric Billstad are in. We're all back from the State Fair. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.